Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden meeting the chief of the Federal Reserve today to discuss inflation. Biden also outlining his own plan to tackle rising prices. Border Patrol agents praised for their progress over a three-day period. Find out what they accomplished. The European Union agrees to cut 90% of Russian oil imports, aiming to cut down Russia's ability to finance the war in Ukraine. The EU plans to cut the remaining 10% in the future. And Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen says Washington is planning cooperation between the U.S. National Guard and Taiwan's military. That's in response to a growing threat from communist China. President Biden is meeting with Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell today. The focus is on addressing high inflation. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. President Biden says the Fed's main role is to control inflation. He vowed not to try to influence the Fed's decisions ahead of a meeting with Fed Chair Jerome Powell Tuesday. The Fed's under pressure to put a dent in inflation, which is running more than three times its 2% target. Americans facing higher prices for nearly everything. One of the items hitting people in the wallet especially hard, filling up the car. I certainly have rethought some of my summer plans, both in flying and in driving. The national average cost for a gallon of regular is $4.62 as of Tuesday, according to AAA. That's up over a dollar and a half compared to a year ago. Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy says it may get worse before it gets better. The average commute may be 12 and a half miles and, and the average car gets 25 miles a gallon combined. You know, you're going to pay $4.60 every day on your way uh, to and from work. And that's certainly going to add up over the course of a week. The Fed's been criticized for its slow response to inflation, but it's signaled interest rate hikes are coming to address the issue. The White House is also under pressure. Biden announcing his own three-step plan to fight inflation Monday in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. The first step is to allow the Fed to do its job, which is fighting inflation. Next is to make goods more affordable for families. Biden offers several ways to do this, including getting Congress to pass his clean energy tax credits. He says that would reduce the average American's energy bill. Biden also suggests fixing broken supply chains, improving infrastructure, and cracking down on fees that international companies impose to move products. Lastly, Biden says America needs to reduce its federal deficit by reforming the tax code. Some analysts say recent economic indicators show inflation may have peaked in March. But economists warn it could take a while before inflation falls back to a healthy level. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. U.S. Border Patrol making a significant bust over three days. Agents are being praised for stopping violent criminals and drugs from entering the country. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz says he's extremely proud of the work his agency is doing. In a three-day bust, Border Patrol agents managed to seize 13 pounds of meth, 26 pounds of heroin, and 131 pounds of fentanyl. Fentanyl is a potent opioid estimated to be over 100 times stronger than morphine. It's often cut into other drugs and linked to recent spikes of overdose deaths in the U.S. Over the three days, agents also stopped 10 sex offenders, three gang members, one assassination suspect, and one fugitive wanted for murder. Ortiz says 18 large groups with close to 2,500 migrants were brought in and 22 water rescues conducted. According to Ortiz, three agents were assaulted during the busts. During a recent trip to the border in Texas, Senator Roger Marshall and sheriffs from Kansas rode along with Border Patrol agents to see the situation firsthand. Agents pulled over a car smuggling illegal migrants. Once pulled over, the passengers tried to run away, but were brought back by Border Patrol. One woman was showing severe symptoms of dehydration and heat exhaustion. Senator Marshall, who was a doctor, was concerned about her going into heat stroke and helped cool her down. Marshall gave her water, checked her for injuries, and helped calm her. He says that Border Patrol agents are the real heroes for doing this work under difficult conditions every day. He calls the situation an unsustainable humanitarian crisis and blames the policies of President Biden. Marshall says agents told him they need to get back to the policies of the Trump era and finish building the border wall. The senator is calling for Biden to visit the border to see the crisis for himself. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
This Memorial Day, some families are closing the final chapter on a group of service members killed in World War II. The 13 sailors were on board the USS Indianapolis, which was sunk by a Japanese sub in 1945. Their remains were later recovered and they received their burials, but decades after the sinking, they were still listed as unaccounted for because of administrative errors. That is, until the Navy recently changed their status to buried at sea. The change was made after a push by the USS Indianapolis Survivors Association and other groups. The ship was sunk after delivering parts for the U.S. atomic bomb, taking the lives of hundreds of American sailors. U.S. and Italian authorities celebrated Memorial Day at the Florence American Cemetery in Italy on Monday. General Andrew Rowling, commander of Southern Europe Task Force Africa, U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See, Joe Donnelly, and Italy's Deputy Minister of Defense attended the ceremony. Over 4,300 American service members are buried in Florence, and a wall with over 1,400 names remembers those who are still missing. Most of the people buried in Florence died in fighting after the capture of Rome in 1944 during World War II. The U.S. is set to bring home and identify the remains of unknown World War II soldiers from the only American cemetery in Africa. That's according to a Monday statement from the U.S. Embassy in Tunisia. The announcement comes after the U.S. and Tunisia signed a memorandum that will allow the U.S. to exhume the remains of unknown soldiers from the North African American Cemetery. They will then be repatriated, identified, and reunified with family members. The cemetery in Carthage, Tunisia, near the Mediterranean Sea, is the burial site for over 2,800 U.S. service members from the North African campaign. The Wall of the Missing, a memorial wall bordering the cemetery, lists the names of more than 3,700 service members who went missing in action and have never been found. The Navy is looking to decommission nine Freedom-class littoral combat ships. Secretary of Naval Operations Mike Gilday suggested they could be transferred to Allied countries in South America. The Navy says that retiring the nine ships will save an estimated $3.6 billion dollars. The lawmakers have criticized the plan, saying none of the vessels have reached the end of their service lives. Gilday clarified to Congress last week that the decision to get rid of the ships is to stratify the Navy's range of capabilities. He added that the Freedom-class ships would not fare well in a potential conflict with China. He says the Navy is building a new class of frigates with better anti-submarine capabilities, and selling the ships could add value to the navies of U.S. allies and partners. And coming up, from radio to TV talk show host, Larry Elder is joining Epic TV. Find out what topics he's going to cover and how to engage with him after this short break. A massive chemical fire in Omaha, Nebraska has been burning since last night. Nearby residents could hear the sound of exploding chemical tanks at the industrial site. The fire broke out at the Knox Creek plant at about 7 p.m. Monday night. No one was inside the building at the time the three-alarm fire started, and no injuries have been reported. Fire crews entered the building but left after discovering dangerous chemicals. The fire chief says the front of the building later collapsed. Authorities set up an evacuation center for residents living close to the site, and Red Cross assisted with the efforts. Investigators do not yet know how the fire started. The company makes products like liquid floor hardeners, joint fillers, and water repellents. Fire officials estimate the structure is worth more than $450,000, not including the contents inside. Two people were killed and 20 injured after a crash sent two cars into a crowd of bystanders at a Memorial Day weekend cruise night in Nebraska's capital. A witness told the Lincoln Journal Star that a speeding car crashed into another vehicle attempting a turn at an intersection. The captain of the Lincoln Police Department said both vehicles jumped the curb and struck several people standing between the street and a parking lot. Details of the event are not clear. O Street has been a popular spot for cruisers over the Memorial Day weekend, and spectators typically gather to watch from business parking lots. Authorities say that some drivers have attempted dangerous maneuvers to excite the crowd, such as burnouts and speeding. Law enforcement promised to have an increased presence this year. The captain said none of the officers assigned to monitor the event witnessed the crash, but police reached the scene within a minute. Authorities in Texas have released new photographs of an escaped prisoner behind a nationwide manhunt. 
The U.S. Marshals Service released these photos of Gonzalo Artemio Lopez. They include close-ups of the tattoos covering his chest, arms, and his back. Lopez was serving two life in prison sentences for murder and attempted murder when officials say he cut through the metal of a Texas prison bus and attacked an officer. He has been on the run ever since May 12th. He's considered armed and dangerous and is on the state's 10 most wanted fugitives list. Authorities are offering a reward of up to $50,000 for information that leads his recapture. A coalition of 54 agriculture groups is urging the Biden administration to drop its support for allowing states to impose their own warning labels in addition to federal labels on consumer products. The request came after the U.S. Solicitor General asked the Supreme Court to refrain from taking up an herbicide liability case. The petition was filed with the court in August 2021, but the justices have yet to act on it. A coalition of agriculture groups are taking issue with the Solicitor General's position. They sent a letter to President Biden urging his administration to withdraw the Supreme Court brief. The president of the American Soybean Association says farmers are concerned this new policy will open the floodgate to a patchwork of state labels that will undermine grower access to safe, effective pesticides needed to farm productively and sustainably. And our next guest shares more about his new show. He went from being a renowned radio talk show host to politics to being a television host at our very own umbrella organization, the Epic Media Group. Please welcome Larry Elder, who is the host of The Larry Elder Show, an accomplished documentary filmmaker and a former California gubernatorial candidate. Thanks for coming on the show, Larry. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Now, from what I understand, you are now a full-time host on Epic TV. What made you decide to join the Epic Times? Well, I just love the paper. I love what they're doing. I love their ideology, which is to tell the truth, uh, no matter how the chips fall. Uh, they're not left. They're not right. They're, they're common sense, and they believe in honest, legitimate journalism. The newspaper is one of the fastest-growing, if not the fastest-growing newspaper in the country. I think, uh, in terms of paid subscribers, it is only behind the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. So it's growing. It's in 23 countries, and it's going to have a huge, huge influence, I think, on the, on the way the world uh, evolves. Uh, so I'm very, very excited that they asked me to join them. More unity is always good, Larry. And what changes can we expect to see from your new show compared to your last one? No, nothing much. Uh, I was the same guy then. I'm, I'm very pro-America. I believe in strong borders. I believe the government's way too big, way too intrusive. I, I'm a staunch believer in the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment. So not a whole lot is going to change. I'll be just delivering the message to a different set of, uh, of people, hopefully younger people, uh, and again, people that don't listen to talk radio. Uh, in the talk radio sphere, while those who listen to it are rabid listeners, only about 10% of people really are devotees of talk radio. So this is a different platform and an opportunity for me to, to expand my footprint. Okay, so you mentioned the border, the Constitution. What topics are you going to cover on your show? Well, uh, today is my first uh, real uh, live show. We've done a few practice shows. We're going to be talking about uh, the horrible shooting that took place in Uvalde. And I'm trying to put that into perspective, although it's very difficult when the bodies are still warm. Uh, but Americans need to ask themselves, uh, we know how many lives are lost uh, because of the illegal use of firearms every year. The question that almost nobody asks, even on the right, is how many lives are saved? There's one estimate that about 2 million people every single year use a firearm to defend themselves. And of that number, about 40% believe but for the firearm they would have been dead or suffered serious bodily injury. So we need to put this in context. And also the Second Amendment is there not for hunters, not for, not for self-defense against criminals, but to make sure America is never taken over by a tyrannical government. So we need to understand the purpose of the Second Amendment before we talk about restricting the rights of law-abiding people to own firearms. Uh, one of the other things I'm going to talk about today is the uh, continuing war in Ukraine uh, and what it would have meant had uh, Vladimir Putin succeeded in taking over that country, how it would have inspired the Ayatollahs, how it would have inspired uh, communist China. Uh, so those are a couple of things we're going to talk, talk on today. And finally, I'm going to say something about Nancy Pelosi's husband being busted for DUI. I mean, this is a guy who's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Uh, the brother couldn't spring for a, for a, a Uber. Uh, and, and by the way, he ended up having to uh, spring for $500 bail. This is a state that believes in cashless bail. So apparently his white privilege didn't kick in. So I've got a few snarky things to say about what happened with Paul Pelosi today as well. Well, it seems like you're covering a lot of deep topics, like the war in Ukraine, and it seems also like you cover a lot of controversial topics. Can viewers from both sides of the political spectrum watch your show? 
I think so. One of the topics I often talk about is uh, the number one domestic problem, in my opinion, uh, is the complete and total breakdown of the nuclear intact family. Uh, now 40% of all Americans enter the world without a father married to the mother. And forget about elder. Barack Obama once said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in, in prison. Now, we ought to be asking ourselves, how do we go from having 25% of black kids entering the world without a father married to the mother in 1965 to 70% today? I argue that the welfare state has incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. It affects everybody, left, right, and in the middle, and we ought to be having a conversation about that. And families are certainly a universal value that we'd all want to have, make sure that's intact. And now, how can the audience engage with you? Well, go to theepictimes.com. That's theepictimes.com. And we do the show Monday through Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific time live. We're also going to be able to have, we have a hotline, too, that people can call 1-888-971-SAGE, 1-888-971-7243, and leave a comment, leave a criticism, hopefully constructive, and make sure it's less than 60 seconds long. Larry Elder, host of The Larry Elder Show, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it. Former President Donald Trump's media company is planning on launching a new streaming service. The company says it will be similar to Netflix, but with some key differences. According to a May 16th filing by Trump Media and Technology Group, the media company will be a subscription-based streaming service called TMTG+. According to the filing, it will feature non-woke content and won't censor content creators for their political ideology. The filing says the types of programming planned are blue-collar comedy, canceled shows, and Trump-specific programming. The streaming service will also feature a podcast platform. The document did not indicate a launch date. The plan is for it to be an expansion to the social media platform Truth Social. In an October statement, Trump said a small number of powerful people who all think the same and who wish to silence anyone who thinks differently cannot be trusted to control almost every major media, technology, and entertainment company in America. For the first time since 2019, the Scripps National Spelling Bee is back, fully in person, but it doesn't come without major changes. It's seen a lingering impact from the pandemic. Schools and sponsors have dropped out. In 2020, there were 245 sponsors, and now there are less than 200. Regions have also been consolidated. Plus, the B has fewer than half of the spellers it had three years ago. Another change, Scripps broke with longtime partner ESPN. So this year, the B will be broadcast on its own networks, Ion and Bounce. The competition finals will air on Thursday, June 2nd. Three teenagers came within feet of being run over by a speeding train in Canada. Transit officials posted this video of an incident in Toronto earlier this month. It shows the train approaching a bridge when suddenly the teens appear on the tracks. The train engineer applied the brake, but officials say there was no way of stopping the train on time. Luckily, the teens managed to get out of the way with just moments to spare. The Metrolink Transit Agency says it posted the video to appeal to the teens' parents and to show the dangers of walking on railway tracks. Is there anything you think we should cover? If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, residents and businesses in one Polish city help settle and house Ukrainian refugees fleeing war, but they are struggling to continue their assistance. And flour mills in the Gaza Strip are fighting stock shortages and a price war. That's after the war in Ukraine shut off shipping routes in the Black Sea. We'll have more for you in just a minute here on NTD News. European Union leaders have agreed to cut 90% of oil imports from Russia by the end of this year. That's according to European Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen. The agreement allows a sixth sanctions package against Russia to move forward. Here are the details. The European Union pledged to enforce an oil embargo against Russia late on Monday, an agreement in principle that solved a deadlock with Hungary and the toughest effort yet to sanction Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. Thanks to this 
Um, Council should now be able to finalize a ban on almost 90% of all Russian oil imports by the end of the year. European Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen told a news conference after day one of a two-day summit. The leaders of the 27 EU nations agreed to come back and discuss the remainder 10% as soon as possible. For now, the deal exempts 10% of oil from the ban so that Hungary, a landlocked country, as well as Slovenia and the Czech Republic, have access to a southern Russian pipeline. Hungary was the main holdout for a deal. All three countries said the fuel from that pipeline was difficult to replace. European Council President Charles Michel tweeted the move against Russia cuts, quote, a huge source of financing for its war machine, maximum pressure on Russia to end the war. It now clears the way for other parts of the EU's sixth and toughest sanctions package against Moscow to take effect. This includes cutting Russia's biggest bank, Sberbank, from the swift messaging system and barring EU companies from providing a range of services to Russian firms. It also blocks three Russian state media outlets from broadcasting in the EU. Moscow struck a defiant tone in reaction to the European Union's new partial ban on Russian oil imports. One official says his country will simply pivot to new importers. When Ukrainians started streaming across the border after Russia invaded on February 24th, residents in one Polish city sprang into action. They began to help settle and house refugees fleeing war. But now residents and businesses are struggling to accommodate them. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. At the Hotel Zaksise, just outside Zezhov, Poland, owner Krzysztof Suzuki said he has paid out of pocket to house refugees. When Putin announced that he would invade Ukraine, Ukrainians started to call us. We got along. We spoke a little Polish and a little Ukrainian. We told them that we have free rooms and we'd accept anyone who wanted to stay here for an unpacificified period of time. Now he worries about freeing up rooms to honor bookings from locals made well before the war started. We'll be having weddings in a moment. Wedding guests have reserved rooms upstairs. For sure, I won't chase the refugees away, but I'm already looking in my area, looking for another place to move them for days where there will be a wedding, and later I will bring them back. Three months later, Zezhov's population of nearly 200,000 has swelled by 50% at times and the city may need new schools and housing to absorb refugees unable or unwilling to return home. Providing access to jobs, schooling, and mental health counseling are also pressing needs. Are there any problems? Of course, there are problems, and they will always be because those are new actions. Many local governments had to undertake many new procedural steps, but all funds that they request, we are trying to donate as soon as possible. More than six million Ukrainians have fled their country, marking Europe's biggest refugee crisis since the end of World War II. Much of the burden of absorbing the refugees has fallen on Poland, where 1.1 million Ukrainians have registered for a national identification number. That figure is based on government data. The Polish government has so far sent nearly $300 million to local communities to help cover the costs of housing refugees. But many families have not yet received compensation despite accommodating refugees for months. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Flour mills in the Palestinian Gaza Strip have been hit hard by the war in Ukraine. Their situation is now worsened by the breakdown of shipments in the Black Sea. Here are the details. The five flour mills in the Gaza Strip are grappling with stock shortages. This comes as Russia's invasion of Ukraine closed access to less expensive Black Sea wheat. The wheat we have here is not enough for one mill for the Gaza Strip and not enough to make bread from. We need much more wheat. This wheat harvest is hardly enough for livestock. At Al Salam, the largest factory in Gaza, the crisis has forced them to lay off most of their 54 workers. The bulk of their machines were also shut down. The company's general director says their production capacity has dropped to just 10 to 20 percent of what it was before the crisis. The main reason for the rise in prices for wheat is the Russian-Ukraine war. We at Mills of the Gaza Strip have storage of stock for a maximum of two to three months. Flour prices in Gaza have now jumped by about 20 percent. Mills also have to compete with imported stocks from Egypt and the West Bank, which are slightly cheaper. 
When I hear that prices of flour have risen, I hold my breath because I will not be able to buy it. If we have no flour at home, what shall we feed our children? The wheat harvest has begun in Gaza at this time of year, but it's far from enough. The annual harvest would only cover the needs of the coastal enclave for one week. Two-thirds of Gazans are dependent on aid from the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. The organization is calling on additional funds from donor states to cover surging prices. Coming up, bank customers in central China are protesting over banks not letting them access their funds. Many fear their life savings could be gone forever. And Nepalese authorities recover the bodies of all people killed in the crash of a small plane on Sunday. A flight recorder is also recovered while families continue to grieve. All that and more right here on NTD News. Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen says the U.S. is planning cooperation between its National Guard and Taiwan's military. That's while a U.S. lawmaker is visiting the island. Meanwhile, Beijing has made a massive breach of Taiwan's air defense zone for the second time this year. Here's more. Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen announced that the U.S. National Guard would cooperate with Taiwan's military. That's to counter the growing threat from communist China over the island. The U.S. Department of Defense is now proactively planning cooperation between the U.S. National Guard and Taiwan's defense forces. President Tsai is meeting with U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth in Taipei this week. She noted Duckworth was one of the main sponsors of the Taiwan Partnership Act. It aims to develop a partnership between the National Guard in Taiwan and to strengthen Taiwan's self-defense capabilities. The act has received bipartisan support in Congress but hasn't yet become law. I will close by saying that there is tremendous support for Taiwan within the legislative branch. Um, our president um, has shown his support for Taiwan. You've heard from our military, and as a member of the legislative branch, I will tell you it is a bipartisan agreement um, that the USA should stand with Taiwan. As Duckworth's visit kicked off on Monday, dozens of Chinese military planes crossed the island's airspace. Taiwan's Ministry of Defense said they breached Taiwan's air defense identification zone from the southwest. It marked the second largest incursion by the Chinese Communist Party this year, after 39 warplanes entered Taiwan's airspace in January. The latest incursion came as Beijing was angered by a statement President Biden made last week. Biden said the United States would send troops to defend Taiwan if Beijing were to attack. More than 40 NGOs are calling for boycotts of the UN Conference on Disarmament after North Korea took over as chair. The conference facilitates nuclear and chemical weapons treaties. Member states discuss nuclear disarmament, prevention of nuclear war, and transparency surrounding military weapons and equipment. On Monday, North Korea assumed the presidency of the conference and will serve in the role until June 24th. That's despite a string of ballistic missile launches in, by Pyongyang in recent months. A letter signed by the NGOs calls on the U.N. Secretary General and member states to strongly protest North Korea's absurd chairmanship. The letter also notes that the North Korean regime is the world's foremost weapons proliferator and continues to bolster its nuclear weapons in spite of its treaty commitments. And nearly a million Chinese customers are unable to access their bank deposits. Chinese media reports those accounts hold a value of $1.5 billion. Accusations are flying that the impacted state-run banks might be involved in money fraud. If that proves true, and without far-reaching protections in China, bank customers could lose their money. NTD spoke with some of them. Nearly a million bank customers have run into a problem in central China's Henan province. They can't access their deposits. The problem has spanned for more than a month in four rural banks. China's bank regulator addressed the issue, explaining the hold on funds. The four banks were found to be involved in illegal wealth collecting activities and are all under investigation. But customers accused the regulator of failing to safeguard people's interest in the first place. Some of the affected customers gathered Monday in front of the province's Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission. They asked authorities to return their money, since all banks in China are state-controlled. Many customers had deposited their life savings in the four banks. 
As part of the demonstration, some of them held banners shouting phrases like, we beg the state to help us. We request the freedom to withdraw from banks. They even asked the head of the Chinese Communist Party to intervene. Some customers were seen kneeling as they called out for help. One customer told us that he deposited the equivalent of over $70,000 in a rural bank over the past two years. But now his balance shows zero. To protect his identity, we're using just his surname. It's been over a month. Many depositors are unable to withdraw money from the rural banks. Wang told us on Monday that some customers had protested outside Henan's provincial government building for five days before the demonstration was met with a violent suppression. One protester was caught on camera after police sprayed him in the face with what was reportedly chili water. Police even stopped passers-by to check their cell phones to stop them from sharing any photos or videos they may have taken on social media. Another victim, who's also a local university instructor, said the affected bank customers are innocent. We legally deposited our hard-earned money in banks listed in the country. Why did the authorities say we were involved in illegal wealth collecting? What have the bank regulator and the People's Bank of China been doing for so many years? Why did they look away when these banks deceived us for years? Is it reasonable? She added that once the fraud is officially labeled as illegal wealth collecting, the customer's money will be completely wiped out. In this case, that would total a loss of $1.5 billion. Nepali search and rescue teams have recovered the body of the last of 22 people from a small plane that crashed in the Himalayas two days earlier. They also recovered the flight's voice recorder. Two Germans, four Indians, and 16 Nepalese were on the aircraft that crashed 80 miles west of Kathmandu. The plane crashed Sunday morning, 15 minutes after taking off. Twelve bodies were brought to Kathmandu on Tuesday after the first 10 bodies were brought to the capital a day earlier. Authorities said the bodies will be released to the families following an autopsy and identification. The downed plane was bound for a popular tourist and pilgrimage site. The flight would have taken only 20 minutes. The plane is operated by Tara Air, flight tracking website, flight tracking website, flight radar 24 says the aircraft made its first flight in April 1979. Is there anything you think we should cover? If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today@ntd.com. And still to come, a Spanish culinary center is pushing the boundaries of both food and technology with new approaches to cuisine that may one day become commonplace. And businesses and households across Australia try to find ways to cut fuel costs. For a community in Queensland, turning cooking oil into biodiesel is part of the solution. Find out more right here on NTD News. Rome has survived invasions and occupations for centuries, but now an army of wild boar has besieged the enduring city, and this surge of swine might pose a health risk to their domestic cousins. Here's the story. Rome, you could say, is going to the hogs. Wild boar, that is. City workers are doing everything they can to stop them from inundating the Italian capital, but with little success. Wild boar aren't just a nuisance to residents that concerns officials. There's also a risk that they carry swine flu, which is not dangerous to humans, but could impact the food supply. Together with the wild boar problem, we have a very grave problem. Because of them, the African swine flu is now in our territory, and that is very dangerous. There are a few options on the table to get rid of the pests. So, what do you think the city should do to stop the problem? Kill them. It's the only way. The only way is to kill them because they are too much. The city of Rome is working on a plan to do just that by bringing in a group of hunters to cull the herd. 
estimated to be around 20,000 in and around Rome who come into the city to look for food. Romans are being told not to picnic in areas where the boar graze. They're also told to sanitize shoes and hands before leaving parks. But not everyone agrees with the need to kill these beasts. I, I, I don't like this solution. I don't want uh, that killed, uh, the, the wild boar, because uh, I don't think they are dangerous. I feel good because uh, I see the animals uh, uh, like uh, if I lived uh, in, in the country, but uh, I live in Rome and uh, near to the center. So uh, for me it's good, it's very good. So far the wild boar have scared a number of local dogs. But there is little choice since man and beast cannot coexist, at least not easily. The Spanish Culinary Center is pushing the boundaries of both food and technology. Scientists and chefs there are designing the cuisines of the future, as well as gadgets that could one day be used in restaurants. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. The Basque Culinary Center in northern Spain is trying out a new kind of software. It helps track the habits of diners who eat there. Analysts there want to know which parts of the menu get the most attention and whether displaying different information can influence a guest's food choices. Uh, focusing on the menu at a normal restaurant, uh, we developed three kind of designs. One that incorporates uh, nutritional information, other one um, only has like the name of the dish and the price, and the third one has like a sensory description of the, of the dish so that the people know exactly what they're going to get. The BCC has used the software with real diners at their restaurant in San Sebastian, and technology like this could become commonplace across the industry one day. This uh, technology incorporation to restaurant is going to happen sooner or later. I don't know if uh, all the types of restaurants will incorporate them, but for example, we are testing this in a living lab kind of restaurant, so people know beforehand what they're going to see. But the food itself remains the most important aspect of the restaurant. Today's dish is a pincho, a small snack typical of the region. It's called the MAC pincho, microbial accessible carbohydrate pincho. Chefs at the BCC have worked with food scientists to create a recipe that is nutritionally balanced. It's 50% fruit and vegetables, 25% protein, and 25% carbohydrate. It also contains ingredients that are proven to have a positive impact on gut health. Uh, we have this yuca that it's uh, a long chain carbohydrates. It has long chain car carbohydrates. So the chest, what they have done is to cook it and then uh, frozen it. So this way you can modify the, the structure of this long chain carbohydrate. The BCC innovation team showcased its latest ideas at the Food for Future Food Technology event in Bilbao. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. With fuel prices still high, businesses and households across Australia are looking for ways to cut costs. For a rural town in Queensland, turning cooking oil into biodiesel is part of the solution. The fuel going into this forklift is a blend of diesel and oil from a deep fryer. This training organization in Cloncurry employs 15 to 24-year-olds in its cafe and workshop. Recycling oil from the kitchen started as a way to cut costs. But we thought, why not try to use it here um, so that we don't have to take it and, and take it to landfill or dispose of it that way. After six months of trial and error, they succeeded in producing biofuel. Essentially, we're just filtering out all of the solids out of the oil and then we're dewatering it. Um, so that's just a process of settling. Um, we've set up, you know, quite a lot of settling tanks. The initial setup costs a few thousand dollars, but there have been big savings already. Australia uses 8.4 billion gallons of diesel a year. The biofuel industry is calling on state and federal governments to invest more in alternatives. But making the switch isn't without challenges. Yeah, we acknowledge EV um, and, and certainly hydrogen absolutely have a role to play and we're excited for that. But they're still a long way off from full commercialization and it's very expensive to make these transitions. Living in a remote outback community can be expensive. Shipping food and supplies in from hundreds of miles away means the costs quickly add up. 
we were getting masses of oil in pods and things like that, thousands of litres at a time, trying to get them to Mount Isa, but it was a big expense for the business. Now with the rising price of fuel, businesses are forced to get creative with how they cut costs to survive. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, a mountain resort in Vietnam opens a bridge with a bottom made of glass. It spans a gorge nearly 500 feet below to attract thrill-seeking tourists. And the upcoming Jurassic World Dominion made its debut in Germany. Both old and new cast members were present at the premiere. Stay tuned to find out more. Archaeologists have uncovered the ruins of an ancient Mayan city. It's filled with palaces, pyramids, and plazas. It was discovered on a construction site of what is set to become an industrial park on Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. One of the archaeologists who led the excavation of the city says his group thinks more than 4,000 people lived at the site. They think it was occupied from 600 to 900 AD. Researchers also found nearby burial grounds. The corpses had been buried together with ancient tools, offerings, and other belongings. Remains of marine life were also discovered in the area. The city's people had agricultural-based diets, but it looks like they also fished along the coast. The site was discovered after construction began on an industrial park. The park will still be built, but the archaeological remains will also be preserved. The archaeologist said that he and others were surprised to find a site like this so well-preserved. A mountain resort in Vietnam has opened a unique bridge with a bottom made of glass. It stretches over a gorge nearly 500 feet below. It's the third such bridge in the Southeast Asian country and has quickly become a hotspot for thrill-seeking tourists. The Bok Long Suspension Bridge is in Vietnam's Son La province, northwest of the capital, Hanoi. The name translates as White Dragon and is the world's longest glass-bottomed bridge. According to the official World Record Association, it spans 2,073 feet. I dared not look down as I'm afraid of heights. I imagined in my head what would have happened if I fell through, and it makes me too scared to keep on going. The reinforced glass used for the bridge has three layers, each 1.5 inches thick. The structure can hold up to 450 people at a time. If you look down and walk, it shows you have nerves of steel. At first it makes you panic, but then if you walk over around 10 glass panels, that feeling is gone. After that, it feels solid. The bridge is 951 feet long between two peaks on either side of the gorge, plus a 1,122-foot pathway on the cliffside. Guinness World Records, a different record certifying body from OWR, certified the structure as the world's longest glass-bottom cliffside pathway. The now recorded longest glass-bottom cliffside pathway, and it's spectacular, the engineering required to build that into the side of a cliff, but maintain all the features of nature, the greenery, the rock, has been an amazing project, very successful, and I think it will attract a lot of tourists. Guinness lists a 1,843-foot glass-bottomed bridge in China as the world's longest glass bridge. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Next, we take you to the largest outdoor multi-breed horse show. The Devon Horse Show and Country Fair is on now in Philadelphia. So mount up for fillies in Philly. Philadelphia's horse show, the Devon Horse Show and County Fair, an artifact from 1896. As far as outdoor multi-breed horse shows go, this is the largest and oldest show in the country. For 11 days, hundreds of horses and thousands of guests lined the streets of Pennsylvania. Some locals, like John Rice and his wife, have been preserving this tradition for 20 years. Hackney horses on a country turnout, wagonette carriage, uh, reproduction carriage, made to look old. So I take care of the horses um, and clean, up, clean all the harness and everything. The carriage component kicked off this week with a marathon event. The variety of horses and ponies collect for preliminary judging before setting off on a drive through the streets of Pennsylvania. They conclude the drive at the Dixon Oval Showground, where they are pinned according to their placement. We're going out drive today, then we're heading to the Dixon Oval. The event brings in judges of international standing who judge the horses, ponies, four-wheel coaches, two-wheel coaches down to the whips and harnesses. 
The coaches are judged on the history of the vehicle, maintenance of the vehicle, as well as the appropriate dress of the passengers. Tomorrow, Monday through Friday, there will be a series of events in each category of coaching uh, and judging that will take place on the showgrounds every evening, concluding with Friday night, which will be the Grand Champions Award. Even the onlookers are judged on layout of their picnic. Each individual element of the event has become a point of interest for the onlookers and partakers alike. The event has become an educational and historical program that is passed on through the generations from grandparents to parents and now to the children. A young lad from the local area, Henry Timmerman, said he enjoys the show because... You get to see all, like, older things that you don't get to see every day. 126 years later, the Devon Horse Show and County Fair shows that Philadelphia is not a one-horse town. Dinosaurs are ready to stomp into Germany with the debut of Universal's Jurassic World Dominion. It's the third entry into the Jurassic World series. This time, the movie will be joined by the original cast of Jurassic Park. Blue has a baby, that's so unmöglich. Hey, Kleiner. Du siehst ja aus wie deine Mutter. Jurassic World Dominion premiered Monday in Cologne, Germany, bringing together cast members, both old and new. Amazing, crazy. If somebody had told me 29 years ago, 30 years ago almost, that I'd be here in Cologne offering our new sixth version of this movie, I would have thought that was crazy, you know, but here we are. I, you know, I feel like I'm dreaming in a way, but it's a very good dream. And it's great. It's an anderes Flugzeug, oder? The upcoming Dominion is a direct sequel to the 2018 film Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Four years after the destruction of the remote island of Isla Nublar, dinosaurs roamed the entire world, living and hunting among humans. What's most important to me is that it doesn't start to feel like a fantasy. You know, it's, it's really happened. Dinosaurs existed, so I want to know what it would be like for humans and these animals to, to really coexist in the world. Jurassic Park actors Laura Dern and Sam Neill reprise their roles as Dr. Ellie Sattler and Dr. Alan Grant. The two reunite with their castmate Jeff Goldblum from the 1993 movie, who plays mathematician Dr. Ian Malcolm. It was crucial. I mean, all three of our, our legacy actors to be able to have all of them back and to really honor them with by putting them into a real adventure, putting them into danger. Uh, I think is, is uh, the most respectful thing that I could do. I feel so fortunate because in this in this movie, I am surrounded by so many remarkable people. And if it's not Chris Pratt, it's Jekyll Bloom or Dewanda Wise. You know what I mean? Like it's just a great group of people. Goldblum will be turning 70 later this year. He was asked if he felt like a dinosaur among the many young actors. Mm, it doesn't occur to me like that, uh, no, but, uh, you know, time time moves on and the, the flower goes like that and then it goes like that. I, right now I feel fine and dandy, but, you know, we're all, we're all here for just a short time. The new Jurassic World film is set to hit German movie theaters on June 8th. Most people get a headache every now and then. Let's get a few tips on what to do about the pain. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Most of us get headaches from time to time. Some are mild, but others can cause throbbing pain. They can last for minutes or days. Now, of course, there are a couple of types of headaches and how you treat it depends on which one you have. Headaches might arise because of another medical condition such as swollen sinuses or head injury. In these cases, treating the underlying problem usually relieves headache pain as well. But most headaches, including tension headaches and migraines, aren't caused by a separate illness. A headache may feel like a pain inside your brain, but it's not. Most headaches begin in the many nerves of the muscles and blood vessels that surround your head, neck and face. 
These pain sensing nerves can be set off by stress, muscle tension, enlarged blood vessels and other triggers. Once activated, the nerves send messages to the brain and it can feel like the pain is coming from deep within your head. Let's take a look at these different types of headaches, starting with tension headaches. Tension headaches are the most common type of headache. They can cause a feeling of painful pressure on the head and neck. Tension headaches occur when the muscles in your head and neck tighten, often because of stress or anxiety. Intense work, missed meals, jaw clenching or too little sleep can bring on tension headaches. Over-the-counter medicines can help to reduce the pain. You could also try yoga, stretching, massage and Chinese medicine. Another type of common headache is the migraine. Migraines are the second most common type of headache. They affect more than 1 in 10 people. Migraines tend to run in families and most often affect women. The pain can be severe with pulsing and throbbing and can last for several days. Migraine symptoms can include blurry vision and nausea. Certain smells, noises or bright flashing lights can bring on a migraine. Other triggers include a lack of sleep, certain foods, skipped meals, smoking, stress and an approaching thunderstorm. Be careful not to overuse headache medications. Overuse can cause rebound headaches, making headaches more frequent and painful. In rare cases, a headache may warn of a serious illness. Get medical help right away if you have a headache after a blow to your head or you have a headache along with fever, confusion, loss of consciousness and pain in the eye or ear. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.